This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, yes! Welcome everybody to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fancy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys on Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I am your host, Elon Dubrovsky, and I've got a fun show for you today. I'm joined by Kristen Anderson, beat reporter for the Calgary Sun and the Calgary Herald. We had a really fun talk about the Calgary Flames. I think you're really going to like it. Before we get to that interview, I will, of course, mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com. It's the number one fantasy hockey website in the world, and they just keep pumping out that content. Ian Gooding just dropped a top 100 Roto rankings for June. We've got general manager ratings, an article recently about the St. Louis Blues, top 10 best contracts of 2019-20. It's, it's a great site. That's just articles from today. And plus, obviously, I use all of the tools over at Frozen Tools to prep this show. That's also a Dauber hockey property. So definitely check it out for all your fantasy hockey needs, DauberHockey.com. But without further ado, I really think you're going to enjoy my interview with Kristen Anderson about the Calgary Flames. And here it is. Okay, everybody, really excited for this podcast that we've got for you today. I am currently joined by a beat reporter for the Calgary Flames, for the Calgary Sun, the Calgary Herald, both owned by Post Media. I learned something new today. Her name is Kristen Anderson. Kristen, thank you so much for joining and welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on. It's so exciting to be talking about hockey and real tangible dates, potentially a training camp in the U.S. for the Flames. We'll get into that later maybe, but um, yeah, it's definitely exciting to be talking about hockey and kind of a weird time to be talking yeah. about actual meaningful hockey uh, you know it's this is should be the really the weekend of the draft preparing for that and getting things going but it's it's one of those really anomalies of a year or so uh, but very exciting to be talking about hockey still <laughs> yeah it's it's wild that there's potentially going to be a playoff matchup or i guess a play-in matchup with the flames versus the winnipeg jets at some point, if this thing goes through and then, you know, for us fantasy hockey players, we've got quite a few months to go before we'll be drafting for next season. But I'm very happy to have you here to talk through this past regular season, which is now officially over for the Flames and try to figure out like what exactly happened. Why did some players do worse than before? Why did some do better? And so, yeah, it'll be really great to get your 
insight on all these players. But first, I guess I might as well just ask you about the team in general. The Flames have been like a tough team to peg, I feel like, over the past few seasons. Like they had that five-year playoff drought that ended in 2014-15. And ever since then, they've sort of been on and off. You know, they make the playoffs, they miss the playoffs. Every time they make the playoffs, they don't go too far. Like this past season was actually one of their best in 2018-19. They had a great record. They were first in the Pacific, but then they ran into a red-hot Philip Grubauer in the first round of the playoffs. They were out of the running after five short games. Then in this most recent season, Things really weren't looking very good at the start. The Flames lost 5 nothing to the Blues on November 21st, which marked their sixth loss in a row. They had a record well below 500 at that point. Didn't seem like this was going to be their year. But then, you know, there was this whole controversy leading to Bill Peters resigning. Jeff Ward took over, and then all of a sudden, like a switch kind of flipped. The Flames won seven in a row in early December, and come the time of the pause, they were right in the thick of the playoff race. They sat third in the Pacific. So, yeah, before we get into specific players, what do you think, did something change? after that rough start to get the Flames back to being a strong team like they were 2018-19 what do you think switched there was it just the coaching change yeah it was was, it's been such an interesting year for this team um you know they like you mentioned they had such an amazing 2018-19 season um career years for so many players uh the team was like had just kind of come together and they were actually playing really well under Bill Peters I don't know if that was necessarily Bill Peters or the coach because there was a new coaching staff entirely. So I don't know if that was maybe a little bit of the new group that had gotten together. Elias Lindholm had just come over from Carolina. Um, you know, Travis Hamanick was still getting adjusted. Mark Giordano, you know, had such an amazing yeah. caliber season. And so it was, a, there was a ton of positives that came out of 2018-19, but then it all it went up in smoke, like we saw happen to the Tampa Bay Lightning. It, it was, you know, that was it, right? Like one round and and a, an amazing regular season means nothing in the end, right? Because you don't contribute when it matters. And, you know, their their first line, Johnny Goudreau, Sean Monaghan, and Elias Lindholm, totally fell off the map uh, during playoffs. And, you know, they didn't get great goaltending. They had okay goaltending. Mike Smith, um, sorry, Mike Smith was was excellent but throughout the year they hadn't had that so it was a it was a such a strange year 2018-19 um so positive in so many ways and then all of a sudden this they ran into this red hot kind of upstart Colorado Avalanche team Nathan McKinnon just looked superhuman you know Rantanen was unbelievable and it, it, yeah Philip Grubauer like you mentioned you know he played he played excellent against the Flames during the first round of that series so it was a ton of so you know it really caused the Flames to kind of take a look at their makeup like what were they missing what did they need to change so you know in comes Cam Talbot um, out goes Mike Smith um, David Riddick was kind of the number one um, battling with Cam Talbot throughout this season this year. You look at the first line, they kind of broke them up a little bit. But then the Bill Peters thing happened, which was, you know, to- obviously totally unexpected and-, and created such a wave of change in the NHL and, and you know, caused the NHL to really take a look at themselves and be like, we need to fix things. Um, just this this incredible movement that happened after that. Um, but internally, like it was a really hard thing for the organization to go through. Like Bradshaw Living, I remember, you know, the day that he announced that um, Bill Peters had resigned and Jeff Ward would be taking over as the interim head coach. Like it was such a um, an emotional day for him because he realized that he, like perhaps he didn't know everything about this guy, Bill Peters. So um, it 
It, uh, and that really set things off. I mean, Jeff Ward came in, he, him and Milan Lucic had played together, um, had won a cup in 2011 with the Boston Bruins. So he was, they were familiar with each other. And, um, you know, you, you noticed a change in Lucic for sure. Uh, and then it was just sort of giving the players ownership again of this team, um, kind of letting them steer the ship a little bit. And, and it turned, you know, into this long winning streak that kind of propelled them into the position that they are in now. They were able to gain so much ground after such a slow start. And so I think that they were just sort of picking up this momentum and this consistency at the time of the pause, it would have been so interesting to me to see what was going to happen towards the end of the season, like in terms of a playoff run, in terms of a like gearing up for the playoffs, because I felt like a lot of the players and a lot of the coaching staff really felt internally that they peaked too soon in 2018, 19 and hadn't faced any adversity. And then, so all of a sudden you face all of this adversity. They lost Mark Giordano for 10 games with a hamstring injury. Like you thought that he had pulled, he like totally tore up his hamstring when it happened. Um, so it was a, like a pretty adverse filled season for the flames. They went through all of these kind of turmoils. TJ Brody collapsed in the middle of practice at the all beginning right. of the season and yeah, and started convulsing on the ice. So that was like, such a game changer for these guys in terms of coming together and re- recognizing what was important. And, um, and then all of a sudden the, like COVID happened. So it, it, it's, I mean, it's such an anomaly of a year. It's such a strange, like strange time in the world, but you, you wonder what's going to happen when they face the Winnipeg Jets. And if you think about it, their only game against the Winnipeg Jets was the Heritage Classic game outdoors in like snowing, blizzarding Regina weather outdoors at the beginning of this season. That's the only time they face the Winnipeg Jets all year. So, you know, lots has changed. Obviously things are going to be different when they come back in terms of the pace. But I, I think that this is a really fascinating matchup from a goaltending perspective. Hellebuck versus, is it going to be Riddick or Talbot? You know, their defense, um, you know, Josh Morrissey is so good on the rack end. And, and they have big forwards, Adam Lowry up front, Patrick Liney, and and how are they going to um, match up against the Flames who have, you know, quite a small, I mean, other than Lucic and you know, some of their bigger guys, they really have a small group of forwards um, stature wise. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, it, it's, it, you, you, these two seasons have just been so different in so many ways, but I think that, you know, you face all this adversity. I think this year, I think that maybe is playing in their corner this year. Yeah, it's kind of like counterintuitive. Like the more struggles they face, the more they're ready to handle it when it happens in the playoffs. But here, they don't even get, you know, a best of seven. They only have a best of five. And I feel like Calgary versus Winnipeg could end up being one of the more evenly matched series. So that'll be very interesting. But yeah, Calgary was on a good run to end the year. They won three of their last four games before everything got paused. And you've brought up like so many players that I want to bring up. This goaltending situation is fascinating in Calgary. But I guess let's start with like their who we all expected to be at least their top scorer in Johnny Gaudreau, who had this huge career year in 2018, 19, 99 points, 36 goals. Like we knew he was great. But I don't know if anyone expected him to be like this great and a hundred point guy. And then 2019, 20, things didn't go exactly the same for him. He ended up with 58 points in 70 games. That's a 68-point pace, which is, of course, not terrible, but you know, a 30-point pace drop. 
kind of significant. And, you know, as a nerd, just looking at the numbers, like I saw a couple things that jump out to me to explain like why he could have had this fall. But obviously you having watched the games, I'll be curious to know your take. But like one thing that jumped out at me, for example, is his shooting percentage was super low this year compared to last year. He had an 8.6 shooting percentage compared to 14.7 the year before. And if you do the math, he actually pays for the same number of shots. It's just, you know, there's a big difference between 14 and a half of your shots going in versus 8.6. And that's why he fell in those goals. And I also noticed his ice time was down. In 2018-19, he was playing around 20 minutes a game. And then this past season, especially after Jeff Ward took over, he was down to 18 and a half minutes. So as someone who watched these games, did Goudreau play worse? And, and that's why his points went down? Or was it just kind of this like a luck factor of not as many shots going in or like a deployment factor where Jeff Ward wasn't using him the same way that Bill Peters was using him the year before? Well, I think when Jeff Ward took over, he really wanted to cut back some of their minutes, um, some like their, the top lines minutes. I think that was um, kind of one of their strategies is to um, utilize, like maybe utilize a, a number, get their other lines going. Because really, if you look at the numbers from 2018, 19, they were a one gun team, like a one line team essentially for a lot of the year. And, and that's just not sustainable. Like in playoffs, you need all four lines going, um, you know, it sounds cliche, but you do, uh, especially because in playoffs, you know, guy, and that's what happened last year in playoffs. They found that like they got for whatever reason, however they did it, they were, the Colorado Avalanche were, were able to exploit Johnny Goudreau, um, and Sean Monahan and Elias Lindholm, they just shut them down every single time they were on the ice. It's just the way it was. So you have to have that like equal deployment of, you know, obviously, you know, within reason, it's your, you know, you have your stars, your stars, your stars for a reason. But I think that it was just a different tactic. Jeff Ward tried and he knew that um, Johnny Gaudreau was feeling so much pressure to score. You know, things weren't great under Bill Peters. It wasn't a great atmosphere. Um, There was a lot of tension. I think a lot of guys didn't feel like they could be themselves. I think that was, that was the case with Johnny Gaudreau and Sean Monaghan. Everybody was wondering what was going on um, with them. You know, confidence, you know, a bit of that maybe played into it. Like he sort of lost his confidence a little bit, maybe during the playoffs. Um, it tested them, right? Like it tested their, their makeup as, as people, as players. Um, you know, when you go through that, like they were expected to be the three guys, like in playoffs in 2018, 19, like this amazing season. And then you don't show up for playoffs. Like, I think that really stuck with them, you know, even to start this season. So once they started to, once the pressure was off of them a little bit, Jeff Ward kind of saw that. He, I mean, he's coached, Jeff Ward's coached some amazing, amazing players in his time, um, Boston Bruins. He just kind of wanted to take some of that pressure off. And I think it was really starting, you were starting to see signs of Johnny Goudreau again. Like he was able to do things with the puck, um, create more room for other players. Um, for a while, they had broken up the first line, Elias Lindholm, Sean Monaghan, and Johnny Goudreau. They'd broken those guys up and then they put them back together. Um, Jeff Ward kind of tinkered with the lines a little bit. He put Johnny Goudreau with um, Milan Lucic to try and create some room, which actually got Lucic going. So um, it, 
it's a little bit deeper than the numbers. Yeah, you can just say, you know, he wasn't getting as much puck luck, which is the case, which is true. But also, I just think that that confidence factor just wasn't there this year. And I think you're starting to see that as the year had progressed and things were sort of falling into place. He was back with Sean Monaghan more regularly um, and Elias Lindholm. But I, I just, I feel, and then, you know, perhaps there will, will be changes because I feel like this year was such an important year for that core group. Like, were they going to take the Flames to the next level? Like, how many more years do they have in terms of their prime, in terms of you know, being real productive players? Sean Monahan, speaking of Sean Monahan, uh, Matthew Kachuk, and Johnny Goudreau, right? So, you know, I thought that this year was going to be a real defining in were they going to move him in the offseason? Like, you know, potentially a landing spot would be the Philadelphia Flyers because that's, you know, close to home. He's such a, you know, family oriented person. So, um, it was, but he obviously loves being in Calgary, but I just feel like this was a, such a, a defining year for Johnny Goudreau. It was either going to go one way or like he's going to figure things out or it was just going to, you know, go the opposite way. Um, but we won't really see, I don't really think we'll really see that now, but, um, you know, obviously what he does in playoffs, you know, always defines a player in the end. So, um, yeah, I mean, who knows what we'll see against the Winnipeg Jets when it comes to Johnny Gaudreau. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. It's almost like you're saying it doesn't matter. Like he had 99 points in 2018-19. He was only pacing for 68 this year. But if he would have had a good playoffs, then it would have been like this was the success and last year was the failure. Yeah, I mean, like how long did I – this is a – you can't really compare this like apples and oranges to compare Johnny Gaudreau and Alex Ovechkin. But like – it didn't, it just, it took him to win a cup for him to actually get the legitimate, you know, respect and recognition that he deserved in the league. Like, I think everybody knew he was a good player, but you know, that question always lingered around, around Alex Ovechkin, but same thing with Johnny Gaudreau. Like I think this city especially has been so starved for a winning franchise. Um, I mean, high expectations, Canadian market, but also, you know, hasn't really won around in the playoffs since 2015, um, and then hasn't gone past the second round since t- 2004. So, wow. um, it's been it's been a long time, and I think this this you know there's tax paying citizens as you as, as you know um, you know all across the in, in every Canadian market you know. Um, is Calgary such an oil driven city and there's tax paying season ticket holders that are just getting really frustrated with this team and where are they going? What's their direction? Like, are they going to be a contender here in a minute or are they just going to flounder around, win around here and there, you know, have these stars that don't really do much. I mean, the one thing with the flames is, is Matthew Kachuk has really changed I think the culture a little bit like it's just it's 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 changed since he's got here I think that eventually he's going to be the captain he's like the captain and waiting it's very obvious um but I think that it's it's you just have to wonder like is Johnny Goudreau and Sean Monaghan the two guys that they're gonna help get this franchise over the hump um 
I, who knows? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. I guess I never really heard of this, like these rumors of Goudreau maybe getting traded to Philly or something. But yeah, he has a couple years left on his contract and he's probably going to want a big raise. He's currently making $6.75 million. So it'll definitely be a story to watch if they can't take the Flames to that next level like we've been discussing. And actually, you bring up a good point about how Goudreau maybe was like nervous at the beginning of the year or feeling a lot of pressure and then sort of turned it around because he actually did uh, end the season a lot more strongly than he started it. He had uh, 23 points in his last 20 six games that was a lot still not like a hundred point pace but a lot closer and i don't want to say that they were i don't want to say that there were rumors but but you look at you look at all the ingredients that adds up to a trade right like especially in a in a canadian market um you see it you've seen it you know with pk suban eric carlson like if they're not like if something's got to give, right? Mm-hmm. Like where, where are these chips going to fall? And, and um, yeah, like I wouldn't, I mean, it's just obvious for um, an onlooker to connect the dots and be like, well, is this the team for him? Is this where he wants to be? You know, you just wonder all these things, um, especially when, I mean, if, 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 if he is, all this success that this is 2018, 19, you're not talking about this at all, right? You're like, it's just when there's a bit of adversity, I think that, that these are when the questions, I mean, in any, in any walk of life in hockey and, right. you know, in business, whatever. Right. But it's, um, it's, it's just the, the way it goes, right. Way, way the business of hockey goes. Yeah, for sure. Especially once it'll be like one year out, like maybe the end of next season when he only has one year before becoming a UFA, that's when, you know, they'll have to ask the tough questions. Uh, so there's Goudreau. And then I feel like you can't even talk about Goudreau, at least outside of Calgary. I feel like I always think of Goudreau and Monaghan. They're like tied together so much. They're always on the ice together, even strengthen on the power play. So it's no surprise that with Goudreau's numbers falling this season, so did the totals of his centerman, Sean Monaghan. Uh, after like Monaghan also had a career year in 2018-19, he had 82 points. And then his numbers tumbled down down actually like by the same percentage <laughs> like both Gajo and Monaghan dropped by a 31% decrease in their point pace it just goes to show how like tied they are so is it like I'm curious to know like how good is Sean Monaghan and also like how good is Johnny Gaudreau? You know, like I, I always wonder, like, is Monaghan just going to be as good as Johnny Gaudreau lets him be and somewhat vice versa? Or is like Monaghan a legit number one center in this league who would like, you know, be able to succeed even if say Gaudreau got injured? It's tough to say. That's a really, really good question. And, you know, I think the first few years of Sean Monaghan's career um, really, you know, you, you saw this, this kind of stoic leader, like the, the boring Sean Monaghan account on a parody. Yeah. On Twitter. And, I mean, you just see this personality. He's sort of a, a very, very serious person. And he played for the Ottawa 67s and um, in his junior career. And um, just kind of, this was just sort of, this is his makeup. Like, and if you've met his, his father, his, his dad, like on the dad's trips, exactly the same. They're just built this way. Um, but he's, that doesn't, that doesn't mean he's a, you know, uh, like a bad teammate or a boring person, or like he's actually, um, you know, it's been interesting watching him mature over the last few years that he's been since this is 2013 when he was drafted. And then he came on the scene in 2013, 14. And that was such a horrible, horrible year for the flames, but he was like the shining star kind of throughout that year and his development and his progress as a centerman and his, you know, learning how to win draws smartly. And, um, 
I think I think for a while, I mean, he is the bonafide number one here in Calgary right now. I think that they really thought that Elias Lindholm was kind of going to turn into their number one A or one B centerman, but um, Elias Lindholm is just so effective on the right wing with that group. So um, they've just left him there. But I think with Sean Monaghan, it's such an interesting question. Like, would he be a number one center on say the Boston Bruins? Well, no. Um, Would he be number one center on the like, Edmonton Oilers, well, no. <laughs> well, yeah. But would he be the number one center on the, um, you know, LA Kings? Well, yeah, for sure. But he, so he's he's a he's a star in the NHL. But I just feel like he's, yeah, like maybe he's a bit overlooked because of where he plays, because of you know Johnny Gaudreau, and they're as you said, they're sort of seen as this tandem. But um, I mean, there's some really great aspects about Sean Monaghan and like leadership qualities and dressing room glue. And you talk about those kinds of things, which, you know, don't always get talked about when you look at the stats, but I like he's had an off year for sure. Um, but he's a great, like, I think he's, you know, really a great two way centerman. Like I think, I truly think so. I think he's a smart, smart player. Um, he, he really like loves the game. Like he's so analytical about the game, um, remembers everything. Um, so he's, he, he's a really nice piece you build around. I don't think maybe, I think in a couple of years, he'll definitely be like a really great number two centerman. I don't think Michael Backlund should be traditionally a number two centerman on this team, but he's a great th- number three centerman. So to answer your question, yeah, I think, maybe just based on circumstance that's where he's fallen into the depth chart with the flames as number one centerman. But I think maybe you're right. Like a traditional, when you think of the number one centerman in the league, I mean, I wouldn't put him there, but I wouldn't put him where I wouldn't put him like on the lower end of things. Like he's definitely a guy who knows what he's doing. So um, such an interesting and things change so fast, right? Like, I mean, the NHL changes so fast. I remember, you know, having that kind of conversation, you know, with Matt Stajan when things were sort of going, you know, down, like he was kind of reaccepting his role as a number four centerman. Um, that was never the case for a long time in his career. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, and it's interesting, the Western Eastern biases, like that, that does actually exist. I think, uh, we'll see with the, um, professional hockey writers association ballots when they come out because um, the heart, the heart votes and like watching Lee and Dreisaitl and potentially getting the the heart this year and um, Connor McDavid, like where will they kind of fit into the picture? But um, yeah, I mean, great, great questions though. <laughs> yeah, I guess I, it would be interesting to see with some of these players who are so tied to someone else, you know, like a Rantanen with McKinnon or yeah. Monaghan, like one day, if like Goudreau moves on, it'll be interesting to see like where Monaghan would slot in and how good he could be. Your answer kind of reminds me of when we were talking to Corey Massasak about the Devils. He was kind of saying like, you know, Nico Hishir is like amazing. Like he's a great player, but for a team to really be successful, they would want him more as like the second line center. Yeah. And, you know, like New Jersey wants to hope that Jack Hughes will eventually become the top line center. So maybe Calgary sort of would, like you're saying, like, if everyone could go down a rung, that would be better for them. But of course, they need to have that awesome top line center to take his spot. And I guess we'll see if Eli- it's interesting that you bring up Elias Lindholm as someone that they thought could be that way. Because I've got to be honest, like when the Flames traded for Lindholm, 
and Noah Hannafin when they traded away Dougie Hamilton. I remember like we were talking about in the podcast that we thought the Flames maybe got fleeced a little bit because Dougie Hamilton was like so great and Lindholm and, and Han- Hannafin were like good, but you know, they weren't like big stars on Carolina or anything. Yeah. Uh, but then like this past season, like, well, especially in 2018-19, it showed that, you know, maybe we were wrong, especially about Elias Lindholm, because after being like around a 45-point guy on the Hurricanes, he had 78 points in his first year on the Flames. And I was wondering, actually, one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, and you kind of answered, like, were the Flames thinking when they traded for Elias Lindholm? Did they expect that he was going to be that good, like be a top liner that was going to be such a high-end offensive producer? Or did they kind of just get lucky? Like maybe they were hoping that Noah Hannafin was the big return and then Lindholm was a throw and it just turned out to be a lot better than expected. Such an such an interesting question. And I've, I've gotten that before and I've had a lot of time to think about it. And my answers changed over the years. And I'll say this, this is the one thing um, that I think the Flames, you know, the intel that they got from Bill Peters, having coached Elias Lindholm, um, he was so underrated in Carolina. Like he, I think that he was so overlooked there um, and really didn't get a chance to be in this like role where he could take ownership and, you know, just kind of play. Um, he was always sort of, you know, always sort of trying to, you know, earn his ice time. But once he just kind of, you saw the way that he played with Sean Monaghan and Johnny Gaudreau and it just fit. Like they just understood each other. Um, Johnny Gaudreau is a really dynamic when he's at his best. He's like such a dynamic player. And Elias Lindholm just understood that and understood where he needed to be. And then on top of it, you know, Elias Lindholm just had confidence. Like he just, he could just put the, put the puck in the net. And for a lot of years, the flames hadn't, hadn't had a, had a goal scorer that could like actually like no questions asked, put the puck in the net. Um, so it's, it's, in, in, and, and Noah Hannafin, I think that, I think that his role will become a little bit more apparent. He's such an amazing skater. Um, you know, he, when he's playing with a, a really solid defenseman like Travis Hamannick, although they've had a kind of an off year this year, he 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 has the freedom, he has the confidence just to go and join the rush and you know be kind of be part of that. Um, you know, four essentially like you know three forwards and just joining the rush system. Um, it 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 just works. Uh, but if his defensive kind of errors really got exposed this year when the Flames weren't playing great defensively, they just kind of would fall apart and lose confidence and then just totally just crumble, essentially, defensively this year. So that really was exposed with Noah Hannafin. But with Elias Lindholm, he just always has had that offensive side to his game. And um, he's been a really interesting guy to follow and you know media wise he's not a, he doesn't really like talking to the media but he talks to us you know quite a bit because he's you know playing so well and obviously being in a Canadian market there's so many you know different story angles and different parts of uh, the media that want to do stories in different ways and um so he's you know polite and like obliges to us but he, he just hates it so I think just being in this situation where you know, he could, he always knew, he always says, like, I always knew I could be a goal scorer. Like, I always was a goal scorer, you know, but just getting this opportunity in Calgary, I think, made such a huge difference for him. Um, so underrated. I know Jeff Ward kind of talks about it all the time and, you know, talks about him, you know, being kind of a selkie type forward. 
um, to a, you know, guys so good in his own end. Um, but then he has that capability of winning draws if he needs to. So, um, a real, I think he's just turned into this like bit of a Swiss army knife for the flames. He can kind of do he can penalty kill. You know, he can score on the power play. He can, he's skilled enough to play with, um, Calgary's top guys, um, so yeah, it, you know, you look at, and Dougie Hamilton ha- has had a, you know, he ha- before his injury, um, was playing so well in Carolina. So they really, you know, got, I think they got the most out of Dougie Hamilton too there. Um, so it was one of those trades that kind of worked both ways. I know we, yeah. you look at the Michael Furlan kind of package and then Adam Fox didn't end up signing in Carolina, but, um, I think I think in the end, we I, I did a lot of stories on who, who won the trade last year, and at the time, of course, it was um, the Flames because they were playing so well. But then you kind of look back, and it's like, well, they kind of both got what they needed out of out of that trade. I thought. Yeah, I guess for the Flames, it'll be interesting, and we'll get to the defense in a little bit. Like once Giordano's gone, I wonder if they'll be missing mm-hmm. Hamilton, but maybe not because they've got some up and coming defensemen in Calgary. Yeah. yeah. With Lindholm, it's also uh, interesting to look at this past season because on the surface, maybe you'd say, oh, his point totals went down. Not a great year for him. But he actually had more goals this year than last year, even though he played fewer games. He went up from 27 to 29 goals. So great year there. He just saw a huge dip in his assists, which I guess can be explained considering we were just talking about how you know, Gaudreau's shooting percentage went down. So maybe he was passing to Gaudreau just as much, but just he wasn't converting. So like, yeah, like Lindholm had a good year. And like you say, he plays big minutes, he plays shorthanded. My main other question I wanted to ask you about him though, is which you brought up earlier is his role kind of changed in the middle of the season. He got bumped from the top line and ended up playing a bit on the second line with Kachuk and Mangiapane and Mikhail Backlund went and took a shot on the top line, but then things reverted back to sort of like as normal by the end of the season. So like going into the playoffs and then into next year, do you think Lindholm is still slated to be that third piece on the top line with Gaudreau and Monaghan? Or could you imagine that Ward or whoever the new coach will be would shake things around again? Yeah. And it was such a circumstance, like, um, you know, circumstantial situation, right? Because the flames were playing, you know, so terribly at the time that Bill Peters, um, you know, resigned and Jeff Ward took over Well, they were starting to kind of play. Okay. Again, um, at the time of Bill Peters resignation, but then they really started to pick up after Jeff Ward took over. So I think Jeff Ward really wanted to just like experiment. I think that was always the, uh, idea was to get Elias Lindholm at center. Um, he was such an effective centerman in Carolina. Um, that's what Bill Peters saw. And so wanted to really kind of get him some more reps at center and some more experience. And um, with, the, with the, you know, forwards that they did have the flames do have, but then, you know, John Gaudreau still struggled and Monaghan still struggled. And then um, they tried Michael Backlund on the wing and that didn't work at all. Like he hated that. <laughs> he played center his whole life and then they moved into the wing just to kind of, you know, see what their options were. And it just didn't work. But I think that that's, you know, they went back. They always knew that they could go back to that if they needed to. Their their old line, um, you know, Michael Backlund played, played so well with Matthew Kachuk and they played together for so long. Um, and then, yeah, you know, Andrew Boundary Pani to the mix. And, and yeah, that, I mean, it's, you know, they traded Michael Froelig, but before it was Michael Froelig being there at, on that second line with Michael Backlund and Matthew Kachuk. 
But getting back to Elias Lindholm, yeah, that was always sort of an option having him on the first line. So they kind of knew that they had, they could, like Jeff Ward could go back to that if they needed to during the game. So I think they were just trying different options because they didn't want to be that one line team right. that they were in the playoffs in 20, 2019. So um, it, Ultimately, they didn't perhaps give it enough time, but they didn't really have the luxury of time anymore being halfway through the season. So they kind of needed to get Johnny going now or Monaghan going now. Uh, so, yeah, it's, um, again, going back to that, it's just been such a different year. Um, so many guys, you know, this is kind of like a chance for it to be a fresh slate in a way, right? Because you kind of just forget about, like, a lot of things that happened during the season, Maybe this three-month break is good probably mentally for a lot of the guys and then like physically as well. And then coming back, it, it's, you know, maybe who knows what the plan is, but they know that that those three guys play extremely well together. And I wouldn't be surprised if they you know went back to that to start off the season or to start, start that series and to start training camp um, on July 10th. Yeah, that makes sense. Especially they know it works. And right now they don't have much of a better option. I have always wondered, and you brought up uh, Matthew Kachuk before, and I definitely want to talk about him. He's the one who actually did lead the Flames in scoring this year. Everyone assumed, I'll bet you if you ask people to guess, especially outside of Calgary, they'll probably just assume it was Goudreau. But actually, Kachuk led the team with 61 points in 69 games, 72-point pace. He's one of the only players on the team who didn't see a big drop-off after an amazing 2018-19. I've, but I have always wondered, like, I wonder if Kachuk has upside for even more if he ever got to play play on the top line because like you said he always plays with Mikhail Backlund and it's like so impressive that Kachuk puts up all these points even from the second line and like with a defensive player like Backlund and yeah do you think there's ever a chance that Kachuk could play with like I don't know if he would play does he play the same wing as Johnny Gaudreau or left side yeah so they you know and and I know that they've tried Johnny on the right side just doesn't work um he just is so much better on the left side yeah, like I, I think that you'd want to, and you probably want to spread out your arsenal. Like you wouldn't necessarily like like they play the power play together, those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think you'd want to definitely spread out your like you don't want to be a one line team. So, I, but Kachuk is just such a <laughs> such a dynamic player. Like you watch the Battle of, of Alberta's, and he had that whole thing with Zach Cassian, and you know, needed to fight his own battle. And um, it was kind of a ongoing saga for like a month, like the billboards and the back and forth and the drama. And um, so it was kind of funny that, that this is the, how the season ended. They didn't even get to play each other in the end. Uh, yeah. I mean, Kachuk, ever since he got here, like you just, you just knew, like, he's like, a. I mean, you look at Brady Kachuk, like, they're just built differently. Like when you have, you know, Keith Kachuk is their father, obviously when you have that deeply steeped hockey culture in your like makeup and your DNA, you grew up around the, the game. You grew up in the dressing rooms, like Matthew and Brady have pictures from every single like game they went to with Keith and um all-star games and they you know they're fans of the game they love the game and you can really tell that when you talk to um you know obviously I talked to Matthew Kachuk a lot more than Brady but when you talk to Matthew like you know that he goes home watches all the highlights like literally has nothing else that he does other than watch hockey and talk about hockey and talk about game like games and plays and um 
you just can't like you you can't make that stuff up you can't like you i mean that's just your pedigree that's who you are uh he's for sure the captain and waiting for the flames like no question about it um he's a real he's really turned into a mature leader you know i say that and like you always see him in scrums and his mouth guards hanging out of his mouth and he kind of looks ridiculous a little bit sometimes but um you know that's just him being young and i think kind of learning the league and getting in you know kind of figuring things out and you know what's his role what's his place in the league and and but he's really turned into this you know mature you know really he understands his his role he understands his place and um on the ice he yeah I mean he could play he could play on the flames top line he could play on the flames second line um you know he's the first to tell you that he's not a great skater but um he's smart he knows where to be um and he just the moves that he can make as well too like you saw it against the national predators um he's he's yeah like he's he's just an incredible piece to this flames puzzle you know you talk about not knowing what you have like did you know he was going to be that good I don't think the flames knew he was going to be that good or that impressive but again it's like opportunity um you know it's it's there was this need for it in Calgary uh, like this personality, I'm sure they had Johnny Goudreau and, and Mark Giordano is just this like stoic leader as well too, but um, obviously been such a great person in the community, but like Kachuk has this personality he's part of this young generation of players. Um, it, it's, it, there's so many layers to him that I think you, you can't talk when you talk about him as a first liner or second liner, you can't not like, and he changes the game. Like he can change the game just by being involved with a hit, you know, chirping, getting guys fired up on the bench. Like he's, he's just one of those guys that just has it. Um, it was super fun to watch. It's been a, it's been a fun, you know, I, I was there when the flames drafted him in 2015 in Buffalo. And I was there when he made the roster, you know, that after that, that, that waiting period, um, whether they're going to send him back to junior or not. And it's, it's, yeah, it's been a pretty fun ride, I think, for, for the Kachucks and interesting to see where it goes, especially with Mark Giordano's career, kind of, you know, when it's the twilight for sure with Mark mm-hmm. Giordano. Yeah. I mean, it'll be great to see. And like Kachuk has been amazing and you got to imagine the best will be yet to come. If he'll, like you said, become the captain and eventually he'll become a top liner. If you had to bet right now, who do you think is going to lead the team in points next season between Goudreau and Matthew Kachuk? It was close this year. Goudreau kind of blew him out of the water in 2018-19, though Kachuk had a great year. Uh, do you, who do you think is the front runner right now to lead the team in points? That's such a great question. I think, I think it, I, I do think that Johnny Goudreau will be back next season and I think he'll probably have a bounce back year. I think that's, yeah. that's, that's to me, that's where it is. Yeah. But that makes sense. I don't know. I didn't predict. It's, it was tough to predict the flames. Like we're going to have a 50 win season, like in 2018, 19. I know like that totally blew me out of the water, but <laughs> so who knows? It It's, um, it's funny because you know you look all these old games are on TV and um you oh I I did this feature on I talked to Craig Conroy and um, Martin Jelena and um, Corey Sarich 
they were all members of that 2004 team, except for Corey Surich, who's on the other side, but he's a, he's a former member of the Flames and now is a big person in the Flames community, alumni, and he's on um, the radio in the morning here in Calgary. So I did this big feature talking about the 2004, you, know, you talk about these old games and these, these, these great times in the Flames history in 1989 Stanley Cup win. They really haven't had that kind of star power. Like Jerome McGinley was just such an unbelievable star in the league for so many years. And, um, you know, they really hadn't had that in, in, in a while until Johnny Goudreau came along, until Sean Monaghan came along, and, and now Matthew Kachuk. So it's a, good, it's a good time in the Flames kind of franchise, but how long, like you only have in nowadays in the NHL, you only have such a small window to like three years. I think that's what, you know, researchers have said about that window to win a Stanley cup in a cap era. Um, and then the, you, you like, I think you were talking about it. Um, in one of your questions, like you run into these, the salary cap and yeah, like some of these guys that are going to have contracts and they're going to, you know, be big stars, like can't keep them all. So yeah. Makes it tricky. And yeah, so you've got to think that Flames should be able to go for it now, especially after the great year they had last year. Uh, so I guess we've covered like the big name forwards on the team. And actually, when I asked uh, some of our patrons on our Facebook group, like who they want me to ask you about, they all like wanted me to ask about some players who like are, I think of as more of like the no name players. But obviously, people, those are the ones that people have more questions about. We all know that Goudreau and Kachuk are great players. Uh, there's one other player in the top six, though, that we haven't really touched on yet in Andrew Mangiapani who this year took that spot that you said Michael Frolik used to hold to play with Kachuk and Backlund on the second line and sometimes with Lindholm. And Machipani is interesting. He was drafted way back in the sixth round in 2015 and had yet to play a full season in the NHL before this year. But somehow he found himself in this great spot on the second line. He put up a modest 32 points in 68 games. Do you think the organization is happy with what they saw from Mangiapane in his first full season with the team? Like, do you think this is his spot to lose next year playing on the second line? Or do you think he was just sort of there for a short time, but the plan is for someone else to get there and Mangiapane to be more of a bottom six player? The thing with Andrew Mangiapane is, if you don't, I mean, I could understand how somebody from outside the organization would think of him as a marginal NHL or not know much about him. He has defied basically every, you know, every odd against him through his entire NHL, through his entire hockey career, right? Like he's always the smallest guy. You know, it's not like he's a Johnny Gaudreau where he's like a skilled or no, he is skilled, but like that known kind of like Johnny Gaudreau was sort of a diamond in the rough, but people knew of him. Andrew Mangiapane like really has had to work for every single opportunity he's got. And there's a reason why he is on that second line for the flames right now, or that, that, you know, when you think about the flames and you're kind of projecting them, that second line with um, Matthew Kachuk and Michael Backlund, he he's impressed me so much this year. This was supposed to be his year in terms of, you know, proving himself. He had a little bit of a contract holdout at the beginning of the year. Didn't end up getting the money that he thought he was going to get, but it was just the sort of a show me year for him, one year contract. And he's exceeded, I think, everybody's expectations since he's been drafted. Really. Um, you look at his numbers in junior and, you know, 
the type of numbers he was able to put up it's it, it's and and just for being the size that he is he had 104 points in 2014 15 with Barry and then exceeded that the following year in 2015 16 51 goals 55 assists 106 points in 59 games yes it's the OHL but you still have to succeed there to take it to the next level and he did like he's paid his dues he was called up during before the playoffs in 2018 19 and then just was this fourth liner and they they look at times during that Colorado series looks like their best line is so it's and yeah he's undersized um you know he's never gonna be a thicker guy he's just not built that way but he's fast and he tries so hard and he is involved and he's in the corners and he's in front of the net and he's not backing down like he's just always there I remember Paul Byron like years ago when it was just that start of that, you know, smaller, fast, like quick game, like that had just kind of started coming on the scene. Like he kind of reminds me of that like he's always there. He's always in the right place. Um, and he's just going all the time. Like he's, he's just nonstop go, go, go. Um, so I think it's, I think the flames are pleasantly surprised at the progress. I don't think that they thought that he was going to be where he is in the lineup, but he's earned it. And, and you can't tell me that, you know, he doesn't deserve that spot or just because he is who he is or he was drafted where he was drafted. That's why he deserves, he, like, they're playing him there to, like, try to get him just going. He's he's earned it, man. Like, he's he's been such a fun player to watch. That's great. And, like, I guess we'll learn a lot about what the Flames expect from him moving forward on whatever contract they give him. If it's, like, a one-year deal, then who knows? But if they could, you know, if they decide to lock him up long-term, then we'll know that they expect him to be a big part of the team. It's funny because there's another player on the team who, you know, if you would have asked me, like, three, four years ago who would be in the top six, I would have thought a no-brainer would be the fourth overall pick in 2014, Sam Bennett. But he obviously hasn't worked out the way people I'd imagine expected from such a high draft pick. Uh, he's had a few tryouts like here and there in the top six, but primarily over his career, he's just been a bottom six guy, hasn't shown much offensive upside. Uh, this past season was actually Bennett's worst. He only man- managed 12 points in 52 games, averaged a career low 12 and a half minutes per game of ice time. Like, do you at this point see any possibility of Bennett ever getting a long crack in the top six like Mangiapane did this past season? Or is it time for us all to, like, accept? I'm sure most people already have. But, like, is it, do we need to just accept that, like, what we've seen from Bennett is what to expect moving forward at this point? Because he's still young, but also he's been in the league, like, quite a few years now. Yeah, he has. And 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 that's it, – it's, like – you always feel for these guys because they have such high expectations for good reason. Um, you know, the flames picked him where they picked him. It's not his fault. They picked him where they picked him, but he was, you know, ranked very highly heading into that 2014 draft. It's, it's been a tough goal for Sam Bennett. And, you know, like those expectations you talk about, like everybody thought that he was going to be this yeah, and especially you look at the 2015 playoffs. So he missed that entire season pretty much. Like he had with a, a shoulder um, surgery. So he had been out, he had shoulder surgery, and then he rehabbed and went back to the Ontario Hockey League and kind of finished out the year and then was called up um, from Kingston during the playoffs. And again, like came on the scene, looked like the team's best player. He was snarly, he was involved, he was kind of 
a little Matthew Kachuk-esque. Um, yeah, I mean, he looked like he was like came on like gangbusters. And then the following year, it just didn't seem to work out for him. Um, it, it took him a while to get going again. The playing for Bob Hartley just didn't seem to, they, they just didn't see eye to eye to each other, but he just kind of kept going and, and grinding it out. Um, tough. It, it was a tough goal. And then he played under Glenn Gullitson and, you know, again, same sort of thing, like just couldn't get going. And I, I mean, he's really, I think kind of found a niche for himself. Um, I think maybe third or fourth line is sort of where he may end up staying, but there's nothing wrong with being a third or fourth line NHL or like, you know, you can really carve out a niche for yourself in those roles. I don't think he thinks of himself as a third or fourth liner in his mind, but I mean, yeah, like it's, it's really been a tough goal for Sam Bennett. And he struggles with confidence. I mean, that is who doesn't, who doesn't in the NHL, but who doesn't in in any stretch of the imagination. It's been a real roller coaster, I think, since he's been in the NHL. But I think he's really starting to find this niche for himself. And I think if he can grab a hold of that, that's going to be his best chance at being in the lineup every single night. Right. Yeah. So maybe the dreams of him, you know, leading the team in scoring or playing with the top players isn't there, but he might have a good role, like you said, like in the bottom six and playing still an important part of the team. Let's switch over to defense now. I definitely want to ask you about both Mark Giordano and a potential future without Giordano, because Mark Giordano, the captain of the team for now until Matthew Kachuk takes over, he had himself a career year in 2018-19, this amazing 74 points in 78 games for like a 35-year-old at the time, now a 36-year-old. It was like very impressive. I don't think anyone saw that happening. Uh, and then maybe what people did expect to happen was for him to fall this year, and he did, uh, maybe even further than some people expected, all the way down to 31 points in 60 games. He did have that injury at the end of the year like you brought up. Uh, and then interestingly, while he was out for around three weeks with that hamstring injury in February, the Flames went and traded for pending unrestricted free agent Eric Gustafsson. And then when Giordano came back, Gustafsson held the spot on the top power play and Giordano was demoted to the second power play. So I guess I have a couple of questions. Like first, just for this year, like if we do a playoffs, do you think that that like top power play number one offensive defenseman spot on the team has that like been handed over to Eric Gustafson for this year or maybe was Giordano just being eased in and then also I'm curious to know like long term let's say if Gustafson walks like I'd be curious to know who do you see as next in line to be like the next Mark Giordano when his career fully sunsets and he can no longer be quarterback in the top power play yeah, um, great, great question with Mark Giordano because he's been such a pillar of this organization for so long, you know, and such a great story, undrafted in the OHL, you know, undrafted in the NHL, and then comes into the league like, you know, gangbusters and, you know, f- finds a way into this organization and then really hasn't looked back since. And then, you know, earned his way in the lineup, earned his way on a nightly basis to be around here every day. And then, um, you know, eventually takes over for, from Jerome McGinley as captain and, and no better person to do it. And as long as he has, um, I remember that first season, 2013-14, he was like, they, the Flames lost so many games. I have to, I kind of block out that year, the 13-14, because it was so, mm-hmm. it was my first year on the beat and I, it was a terrible year, but he'd come out every single night, talk 
to the media, um, no matter what, and really is a caring person, great person in the community. You watched during COVID, he was part of like these birthday celebrations that the, the, the fire department did with his family and, you know, donated a whole bunch of money, um, kind of did all these good deeds in the community. So he's been a really important piece in this community, but also for the flames. Um, on the ice, Norris Trophy last year had this incredible season, like you mentioned, and then you know has fallen off the map a little bit this year. And then he had that injury. It's and, and you know the thing about Mark Giordano is like he cares so much about this team and winning and you know being a good leader. And uh, when he when things aren't going well. It, his game struggles because he tries to do way too much. Like he tries to, you, you watch him and he's spinning on the ice because he just like, is just trying to be everything to everybody. And um, when the team's not like doing great defensively, it Mark Giordano, like you, you watch him and, and, and he just tries to be everything and it just doesn't work. So that's maybe why his numbers weren't so great this year. Yeah. First unit power play has sort of been his, jam um for a long time and what's what's life going to look like without Mark, Mark Giordano I, I think you know he's he's such a diligent you know takes care of, of his body so well um you know I foresee him being in the league for like at least another definitely playing out his contract to retire as a flame and but you know even maybe beyond that he's he'll be 37 in the fall um it's yeah. Uh, I, I mean, a great question with uh, Gustafson. Like, I mean, he came in and you know was able to play the power play um, and kind of fill this need for the flames at the time without Mark Giordano. Uh, that really worked out well. You'd probably want to try him at, at the, you know, the first power play unit for at least a little while, but knowing that you can always put Mark Giordano back there and that's, you know, where things you know, where they can succeed and where they're the best is when Mark Giordano's playing his best. But moving forward, what happens, right? Um, you know, you have Rasmus Anderson waiting in the wings and he's a very exciting, you know, up and coming NHLer, had a really great year, um, really kind of starting to be this force for the flames on the back end. And then you look where else. Um Yusuf Valamaki had a such an uh, has a, had a, such a tough year because um, was training last August and, you know, blew out his knee. And so this was supposed to be his rookie season and that didn't really work out for well for him. So you look at him as a potential, you know, Mark Giordano in waiting. And that's, you know, where I think you, ha- you look at the rest of their depth on defense. You know, is Travis Hamannick worth keeping around? Um, you know, he's such a great character person, but, you know, can they replace the void that he, you know, can they replace a guy like that? Or can they, and then you, you would want to develop Noah Hannafin. You know, I don't think he'll ever be kind of quite like Mark Giordano, but he's going to provide you some offense and and depth on defense. So lots of questions. I think you this draft is going to be essential for the flames in terms of bulking up um, in terms of, you know, finding those blue chip blue liners at, for at one time, you know, they have, they still have Oliver Shillington as well. Um, at one time they had so many defensemen, they didn't know what to do with them all. And, and that's what ultimately led to them dealing Adam Fox uh, to the Carolina hurricanes. And then eventually he signed in, in New York. So um, 
interesting conversations. Uh, you know, you can't have too many good defensemen in your system. And it, it, it's like for a while, the flames really struggled with having defense. Um, they really didn't have a lot in their cupboard. So they had to bulk up and then, um, then they didn't really have any goalies in their system. And then, so they had to draft a whole bunch of goalies, Mason McDonald, who they didn't resign, you know, was the first goalie taken in the 2014 draft and he didn't really pan out. And now they have big save Dave and Dave Riddick. And they just signed Artem Zagadulin, who's kind of a guy that they think is going to be good, but they're not entirely sure what his pedigree is. Um, had a bit of a rough season in Stockton, but that was based on the team as well. So, and then they they drafted Dustin Wolf, who's kind of turned into this star in the WHL. Um, they think some, you know, really highly of him and expect him big things from him. So, um, such interesting questions, but. Mm-hmm always have to be you always have to think about that though like what's what's next i know that's the way brad Trilliving thinks is okay but what's next but what's next but what's next like he's always thinking like five steps ahead yeah and it's it's so interesting so with the defense it kind of sounds like what i'm taking from your answer is we don't know right now like it could be yeah. like like it could be anderson it could be valamaki it can be noah hannafin like maybe everyone will get a shot and we'll see who pans out on the top power play. or maybe they just sign a ufa maybe eric gustafson comes back and he runs the power play yeah, so exactly yeah and then in nets yeah it's such an interesting situation like david riddick had such a golden opportunity this season to establish himself as like a legit number one goalie in the league and and things started off great for him like by December 1st he was sitting with a 12-7-4 record he had a 9-15 save percentage it seemed like surely he was the starter you know Cam Talbot was just a backup but then there was like a stretch of the season after that where Riddick wasn't as good he only had an 8-98 save percentage in his final 25 games of the year he was seeding a lot of starts to back up Cam Talbot and and by the way to Talbot's credit he had a great season himself. He had a 919 save percentage in his 26 games, a fantastic bounce back after a terrible year with Edmonton and Philly in the previous season. And when you look at David Riddick, if I recall correctly, he did the same thing in 2018-19. He had a really strong start. He was in a tandem with Mike Smith, but seemed like he was the, the better option. But then by the end of the season, he was you know falling off. And then Mike Smith was the guy who got the games in the playoffs. So I wonder, like at this point, do the Flames see David Riddick at least for like one more year as their number one goalie? And then maybe they'll re-sign Cam Talbot or someone else to be a backup or bring up like one of these other younger players, like you said. Or do you think at this point that job is like totally up for grabs and next year, like kind of like on defense, like we don't really know who's going to be the number one option for the team. I think you have to give him another, another year. Like you, you pretty much have to at this point because he was such a dynamic goaltender and he kind of held you in on a lot of nights, especially early on this season. Um, I think that it was, he was dealing with a bit of an injury at the time of um, the NHL pause. So uh, you wonder how much that played into things, but also that was the big question heading into this season. Was he going to be able to handle that 80, you know, obviously we would play 82 games, but you know, that number one goaltender workload, that's why they had Cam Talbot in who is a totally different personality than Mike Smith. Mike Smith thinks that he's the number one all the time at any time, <laughs> which is a, a fantastic quality to have, especially if you're pushing and kind of trying to push a young guy like David Riddick. So that was a great scenario for David Riddick in his first season with the flames. But now I think 
having Camp Talbot a little bit more of a softer, um, way more relaxed, um, just a you know quieter nature, a quieter goalie in general, calmer presence. I think that they really bounced off of each other in a good way. I think David Riddick still has a lot to learn. Like he you know, rubbed people, a lot of people the wrong way when he did that, um, you know, stick flip celebration. And mm. you know, it's not like he's, I, th- I think some of the Oilers were like, it's not like he's won anything. Like it's not like he won the Stanley cup or he's won anything like in his career. So it kind of rubbed people, around, but that's just his personality. If you know Dave Reddick, he's like so funny and joking around all the time, but he's so passionate as well too. And has a temper and kind of like needs to be run reined in a little bit. So I think Cam Talbot was a really good mix for him this year, but all of a sudden, I mean, Cam Talbot was trying to get, you know, build his game back up too, after being, you know, kind of his confidence was shot in Edmonton and then in, you know, after the trade and everything that happened, you know, in the season previous. So um, Cam Talbot was trying to build his game back too. And then when, you know, things didn't really work out when they kind of went back to Talbot, it, it he just he, I, I don't know what what clicked for him what switch kind of turned on for Cam Talbot like he just was back to this confident goalie again you know circumstance how the season went whatever the team was playing a little better you can look at that maybe but um, at the end of the day your goaltender needs to make stops and Cam Talbot was definitely doing that um, towards the end of the season so he's kind of emerging as the Flames number one but I think you pretty much have to go back to David Riddick like he makes me nervous in so many ways because you don't know what you're gonna get sometimes but he's also a really good goalie and he's really improved and really matured um, and gotten experience. So and it takes a while for goalies, man. Like it takes so long. So um, interesting, like, and then you look at what's in their system. They have Tyler Parsons who, you know, was such a great goalie in the OHL and, um, you know, had some extreme, you know, depression issues and, you know, contemplated suicide and was like, you know, such a good story with mental health, like in rebounding and kind of bouncing back from that. Um, the Flames really supported him during that, but he's also, you know, had some of his struggles like on ice. And then you have, you know, Dustin Wolf coming up in the, in the wings, um, Arden Zagodulin, as I, I just mentioned, um, and some of their other, you know, prospects as well. John Gillies is still in their system. So, it's 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 tough to say like I don't I mean obviously anything can happen but you have to kind of go back to David Riddick I think you know I think Cam Talbot would easily find a job next year especially based on the numbers that he's been able to improve this year but like for the interim for right now for the scenario I think playing with David Riddick has been such a and vice versa playing like they're both like they've just worked to well together. Um, but to start the playoffs, like or to start the playdowns, you got to go back to Riddick. I think you have to. Yeah. They, and they have him under contract for one more year yeah. and yeah, he's so tricky because sometimes he's really good and sometimes not. And do you think for next season then like, do you expect them to try to bring camp Talbot back for like another one year deal? Or do you think it will be time for a uh, John Gillies or Artem Zagadulin to come up? Like obviously Dustin Wolf is like a very exciting, he's only 19 years old. So I assume that the plan is for him to still stay in the minors for a bit, but wow, like a 935 save percentage this past season, in WHL. 
very impressive. But like, yeah, so for next year, do you think as far as what the Flames are going to do for their backup position while Riddick has one more year left on his contract, do you think they bring Talbot back or they bring someone else in or do they give Gillies or Zagadulin a promotion? I, I can't, I, I feel like I can't make that call just yet because, you know, what did the Flames think? Like, they, what did they think of David Riddick's body work? And that may be very well decided in the playoffs. And like, you look at what happened to Jordan Biddington, like that may solidify everything for David Riddick, but also that's why they brought in Ken Talbot is to have this experienced backup so that David Riddick didn't feel like the pressure was all on his shoulders which is what basically what happened when like two years ago when Mike Smith went down and they, you know, called David Riddick up and then he, you know, he was the guy and it just, just, it didn't work out. I mean, he was just too much for him at the time, right? Like he just wasn't ready for that kind of responsibility. Um, which is fair, right? Like you don't, you're in a new league and a new around a new team and like a new country and, everything's new and you're all of a sudden you're in the NHL. Um, and it's, yeah, it was, I think it was, I think he really struggled that first year with that kind of pressure, but playing under Mike Smith kind of made it a little bit easier. And then he got some starts in 2018, 19. Um, and then having Cam Talbot as sort of this fallback, you know, really kind of gave him the confidence to sort of grab this number one role. So, you know, it's totally, I, I think it just depends on what the Flames, you know, look at David Reddick's body work. Like, do they think he's, you know, because if you have I, this, you saw this with like Mika Kippersoff in those days, you know, it was so hard to be their back, his backup because, you know, he played all the games and then you get this young guy in who never played and he'd go in for one game and would let in like nine goals and he'd be like, Oh my God, I gotta get Kipper back in. So you sort of, you want that experience, but it like, is, is he ready for that experience? Is he ready for that to be the number one? Um, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. I, yeah. it, and, and plus, like, obviously, these these three months have just been a wash for everybody, right? Like, it's like, like I said before, it's just a fresh slate. <laughs> yeah, it's a, so many question marks for this Flames team. Like, we don't even know who's going to come back next year and then all these contract situations. So it'll definitely be something to watch. It makes sense. Like, what you said is very, like, I think, astute that if Riddick could have an amazing playoffs, then obviously then they'll be less interested in needing to bring someone to challenge him. Though, but if he struggles, probably there'll be a lot of pressure to bring in someone else to carry the load. Uh, so, Kristen, thank you so much for all this time you've given us. Before I let you go, I'd love to just ask you one more quick question, something we've been asking to all of our beat writers who've been so kind to do these interviews with us. If you had to pick one flame that you expect to be the biggest like positive surprise next year, like someone that people maybe don't have so high on their radars, and then they're going to be like, oh, wow, I didn't realize he was this good. And then on the other hand, one flame that you think will be the biggest disappointment who people are maybe expecting a lot from and you don't expect it to pan out who would your two picks be Ooh, that's a great one um well i think maybe a dark horse like success story would probably be dylan dubé i mean i think that people obviously know him maybe know his name he played for canada the world juniors um he's from cochrane he like he's really close by, like kind of a homegrown kid, grew up going to Flames games, um, like loved Jerome McGinley. So he's this like kind of homegrown kid. So people know him, but 
I feel like he's really going to take a step next year. I think this year was like such a big year for him, but um, next year is going to be, I think maybe even bigger for him in just terms of his confidence and um, he's such a speedy player. He's so exciting. And um, I think maybe he'll take a step and be a little bit of a surprise next year. And, you know, it's not sad to say, but like I, I say this with trepidation because there's, it feels like the Flames have spent so many years trying to get him going and developing him as Mark Jankowski. Um, he, I think he might be a flop next year. I think there was a lot of you know, talk of him being one that they would move. He's a six foot four centerman. There's so many great qualities about him. Um, but he just sort of is what he is at this point. I feel like for the flames, like I'm not sure where he can go for go in terms of his ceiling. Like the flames draft, um, Jay Feaster, this is, you know, bless his heart, but this is going to be kind of the thing that kind of sticks with him forever is drafting this Mark Jankowski and um, putting these expectations on his shoulders. And then you know, having to wait all these years because he was in high school and they drafted him and then you know, went to Providence and then won a national championship and was kind of a great story from college. But he, but the fans for whatever reason, just like always ripped him and, you know, were, are really hard on him. I think this year, was a kind of a step forward for Mark Jankowski, but it's still, I just don't know where he can go. I would say maybe him, maybe he's going to be a bit of a disappointment next year. Okay. That's fair. <laughs> I feel like it's been so many years that we've been writing stories like this could be his year. <laughs> you talk to him and he's so nice and he's like so optimistic, but I just, there's just, he just doesn't have that like quality, but that's just not in his makeup. So, but you know what? He's a, he's a very, very tall centerman. There's like lots of teams that would, you know, see that and want, you know, want that covet that asset. So. Yeah. And maybe as a, a fourth line player, kind of like a Sam Bennett, maybe they could still play well together and eat up some minutes and do okay. But Dylan Dubé is an interesting player you bring up. I see he uh, played 45 games this year. I don't know if this counted as a rookie year. He played 25 games in 18, 19, but a 60 shots in 45 games, only playing around 12 and a half minutes a game. So I wonder like with more ice time, what he can do. So that's definitely a player that I'll be putting on my radar now that you mentioned him. Uh, yeah. So Kristen, thanks again so much. Like I said, uh, is there anything that you want to let our listeners know that they should check out? Like uh, I should mention, they could follow you on Twitter at K dot Anderson and, and they could read you. It looks like you're all over the place yeah. uh, according to your Twitter account. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a member of the professional hockey writers association. Um, I'm the chapter chair for Calgary. I um, often appear on NHL Network um, at times as a guest. Um, I'm on the radio in Calgary. I'm sometimes on the radio um, kind of across Canada with different with different stations. They have me on to talk about the Flames. And then, of course, I write online at thecalgaryherald.com and calgarysun.com. Uh, yeah, follow my Twitter for sure. Um, I'm a mom and I'm um, pregnant with my, my husband and I's second child. So oh, I... Okay. Congrats. Funny, funny tidbits about life as a mom and kind of trying to balance that with being a beat writer and covering the NHL. Uh, but um, yeah, definitely. Thanks for having me on. It's been so great to talk about hockey again. And uh, hopefully we're out of this um, kind of things are looking up with COVID and, and moving on from that. So hopefully uh, the NHL gets going and we can all enjoy that for 
for a few months again. <laughs> yeah, that would be fun. While we're sitting at home, it'd be fun to watch some playoff hockey for sure. And yeah, definitely uh, everyone should check out all of your resources. And like you said, like if you just follow you on Twitter, you, I see you like tweet out all of your articles. There's a fun, the, your pinned tweet here is a picture of you, like you said, like very pregnant interviewing, I guess, David Riddick. <laughs> so it's interesting to see what that must have been like. Yeah, I wrote a story on being pregnant and covering the NHL. I was um, very, well, I had my daughter on the 26th of January. So it was during All-Star weekend of 2019. It's the last year. Um, and then I actually came back for playoffs after maternity. Like I was gone for like 10 weeks and then came back for playoffs. And then the Flames were out in like 10 days. So it was <laughs> kind of like anticlimactic, but the flames were so good at the time that I had thought I had to come back. But yeah, I wrote about being pregnant and being stuck in the elevator. And like, I think that I'm pretty sure Brad Trilling thought my water was going to break in the elevator one night. Like, like, Oh my God. Yeah. And I worked right up until my due date, like three days or four days before my due date, I covered the flames, the flames played the Carolina hurricanes right before the NHL all-star break. And I had my daughter four days later. So it was, uh, yeah, it's things that things that male beat reporters don't have to really consider, but <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, people should read about it. It's the link to article. Well, I'll link to I'll link to that article in our show notes if people are interested. Uh, okay, yeah, thanks again. Have a great rest of your night, and good luck to the Flames if this thing gets going again. Thanks. Talk to you later. That was so fun. Thanks again, Kristen, for that really fun chat all about the Calgary Flames. What a fun team to talk about. I really can't wait to see what happens both in these playoffs and then next year, what's going to happen in Nets? What's going to happen with the defenseman? Are they going to bring Eric Gustafsson back? Is one of these other guys going to take over? So interesting. Is uh, I didn't even consider that maybe Johnny Gaudreau isn't long for this team, but you never know if he has a rough year next year. All of a sudden, he's going into the year before becoming a UFA. Oh, man. So Calgary was a fun team to talk about. I really hope you enjoyed it. If you like the show, uh, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. Also, we, of course, wouldn't say no to a five-star review on Apple Podcasts if you wouldn't mind. But anyway, I guess I will stop my rambling and we can close out the show here. So let's cue the outro music and I will go ahead and read you the credits. So this episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dabber Hockey and supported by our patrons. Logo art by Brandon Weeb and outro music by Pat Roach. And this episode was researched with help from Dabber Hockey, Frozen Tools, Dabber Prospects, Hockey Reference, Elite Prospects, Rotor World, Little Wikipedia. I think I used ESPN. And then, of course, mainly the research was done not by me, but by Kristen Anderson at K dot, spelled D-O-T, at K dot Anderson on Twitter. Thanks again, Kristen. Again, thanks again for everyone for listening. We at Keeping Carlson Headquarters will keep on working on trying to find more beat writers to cover the remaining NHL teams. But until then, why don't you keep on keeping Carlson?